Coming up next. And I mean, sometimes you're taking a, like you're, you need to take a lunch break, right? So sometimes you'll land on like a, an inaccessible beach or, you know, somewhere where nobody's, I mean, obviously somebody's been there, but it feels like nobody's ever been there. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible when you get to do that day like that. The Job Talk podcast shares stories from people who are passionate and love what they do in their careers. Through conversation, we explore their careers, past work experiences, and the education that got them to where they are now. We are putting together a Career Crisis Ultimate interview series. We are asking experts to give their best advice and guidance around work anxiety, career pressures, career goal setting, and ultimately career transformation. To learn more about this special interview series and get notified when it's available, please visit our webpage at thejobtalk.com slash help. Today's guest is Aaron McGill. Here's our job talk with a forest health supervisor. Aaron, you've been posting beautiful aerial photography on your social media accounts. Do you think helicopter trips is one of the biggest perks of being a forest health supervisor? Um, I'd say it's got to be one of them for sure. Um, usually when I post pictures, my father-in-law who's lived here most, almost his whole life and my mother-in-law, they say, I, know, I now know Nova Scotia better than they do. <laughs> <laughs> so between that and my other things I don't really post but we drive around all over the province hanging uh, insect traps and things like that so I get to see lots of parts of Nova Scotia that nobody ever sees let's back up a little bit where did you grow up all of, my dad was military so all over the place um, I went to high school in Germany or well grade six to grade nine in Germany um, before that I was in southern Ontario after that I was in Winnipeg and then my last year of high school I did in Sioux Lookout in northwestern Ontario. And what was your first post-secondary experience? Uh, I took forestry at Lakehead University. Okay, so you jumped right out of high school and jumped into forestry. What kind of positions were you looking for when you when you went into forestry? I wasn't sure. I just, I remember thinking, what do I want to do? And my parents were encouraging me to go to university. And I was like, well, I really like camping and being outdoors and um, being in Sioux Lookout, small town, there's a, there's some firefighters there. You see the helicopters going on. Like, that'd be cool if we're riding that. Yeah. And so I, uh, was like, I applied to that and I think I applied to agriculture at University of Manitoba, but I didn't really want to be a farmer. I just thought that would be another cool outside job Yeah. and you could probably get into more of the science side of it. Um, so yeah, I got accepted there and, and, uh, decided to go there. Yeah. A million years ago. Uh, how long is the program and what kind of courses are what's the experience like as you're going through that program so they have a a four-year and a two-year and i ended up i started off in the four-year and i went and uh i after the first year i said i don't think i want to be in forestry that long so i switched to the two-year yeah partially because in my in my first year, I took a course in geographic information systems, which is GIS. It's back then nobody had ever heard of it. Yeah. And I took a course in it, and I was like, "Wow, this!" It kind of blew my mind. I was like, "I love this course." So I tried to figure out how I could get finish forestry and then get into GIS. Okay, and, and so, yeah. So specifically, what kind of courses? What are you studying when you're going through that program? Uh, in forestry, you're taking like dendrology, which is uh, plant identification. So you have to do like a plant collection and you learn how to identify all the different tree species. Um, 
there's different programs across Canada and like being in Northern, Northern Ontario or in Thunder Bay, there's not a lot of tree species. So they kind of tend to try to focus on stuff in Southern Ontario as well. Um, Nate, I think has a program that's uh, the same. Um, and there's also, you do a, uh, a forest harvesting course, a fire management course, silviculture, which is uh, how you treat the stand after it's been harvested. Um, so you go in, you do ground site preparation, planting, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's business management courses, um, math, there was always math. <laughs> um, and then there was a GIS course and soils. Oh yeah, there was soils, there was uh, uh, tree diseases, uh, insects, like tree, tree insects and things like that. Um, there was one called wood technology where you learn about like the different hardnesses of wood and you know, the difference between a hardwood and a softwood, deciduous, all that kind of stuff. Um, some, I like some of the courses, some of the courses I wasn't so, uh, enamored with, I guess. Yeah. I was going mean, to, I, I was going to ask you if, if you were actually interested in this specific subject matter, or if you just got through it, cause that was the, the program you were in. Well, after, after my first year, I started, I got a summer job fighting forest fires and absolutely loved it. So yeah. I mean, I, when I took the fire, the fire course wasn't until second year. So I took that course and was just, I loved that one. I liked the, uh, like the operations management, the business management one. I liked I'm trying to remember them all. Um, I didn't really like the dendrology one cause it was just memorizing. It was just memorization. I liked being more hands-on learning, doing stuff, um, doing that. Oh, and I think there was a plant, there's a plant biology course and a few others we had to take as well, but. And I, I think my favorite course, obviously, was the GIS course because it. I, I remember we did we we were sort of spoon fed the, uh, the the commands to do back then. It wasn't it was sort of a new program, and then you kind of had to come up with your own project to do. And I, I had given been given a taste of three dimensional modeling in this course, and I was like, well, can I use it to plan a new ski a ski run at Candy Mountain, which was the ski hill in Thunder Bay? And they're like, yeah, sure. So we. That was my, my project. So I, I figured out where the best slopes were on Candy Mountain to add in another ski run, which oh, to wow. me was really fascinating. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk. So you, you got through your post-secondary and what do you leave with it? Is, is it a diploma? Is it a degree when you, when you're leaving? I got the diploma. You can also get the degree. Okay. You got the diploma and yeah. you said you were fighting forest fires. Was that for a, my summer job? Yeah. That was a summer job. Okay, let's let's talk about your career path as you um, to where you are now as a forest health supervisor. What was your first uh, real job coming out of post secondary? Well, actually, after forestry, I went to Algonquin College in Ottawa and took GIS. So I took another I went to another college and took another diploma, and then while I was there, um, one of my fire I, I've kept fighting fires every summer. One of my friends who I had fought fires with had taken a GIS program before me and he was working out in BC and he phoned me up and said, Hey, do you want a job in GIS in Prince George, BC? And I was like, sure, why not? Like I might as well find out if I really love this. So I moved to Prince George and, uh, started with a consulting company there. Um, I was there for about a year and a half and maybe about a year. And then they asked me to bid on a contract where you're um, like a consultant, you go into an, an, uh, the forest industry office, like like uh, Canadian Forest Products, yeah. 
you go into their office and you work directly for them, but you're contracted to the consulting company. Okay. So I did that. And then after about a year, they hired me at Canfor. Um, and then I spent about five years there up until, uh, 2004. Yeah. And then in 2004, um, my wife wanted to move, she, she wanted to move to Nova Scotia, but so we were hunting for jobs and couldn't find one. So I ended up, she ended up finding one in, uh, in Edmonton. So we thought, well, that, believe it or not, that cuts our travel time home to Nova Scotia for her in half. Yeah. <laughs> and you're only moving seven hour, a seven hour drive east. And, um, then, and it also, you know, made it a two day drive to my house in Northern Ontario. So we decided to move there, sold our house in Prince George and moved to Edmonton. Yeah. And did you have a job then, lined up for when you were moving to Edmonton or you were moving to Edmonton because of your, your wife's position? We moved to Edmonton because of her position, but she did a similar role as me in GIS at a consulting company. And when she moved there, she was moving into the provincial government and her consulting company said, oh, we could use Aaron's skills at Timberline. So I moved to Edmonton having a job with, I didn't even have an interview. It was just, you're hired because forestry and GIS combo is not a, that common, I guess. So I basically, we moved there in December of 04 and I started there January 2nd or whatever the first day after, after that year was. And I worked there for almost two years and then, um, started with the provincial government in their forest health section in, uh, 2006 as a GIS information person, but I started doing bits of field work and started building all their systems and doing modeling. And, uh, that's what right around when mountain pine needle started to come into, um, Alberta. And then, um, in 2017, my wife found a job here in Nova Scotia. And so we basically sold the house and moved to Nova Scotia for her job. And then I started, I was here about six months before I found a job. Um, cause there's a really good GIS school here. I was kind of going back onto my GIS skills moving here. Um, and found a job with an engineering company called wood and worked for them for almost two years. And then this position came up with the provincial government and I was fortunate enough to get it. So, okay. The position, the position that you were in, in Edmonton, were you doing the same kind of work there as you are right now? Um, no, some of it was the same. Um, some of it was, I'm still touching the GI, the mapping and the GIS side. Um, I'm less involved in the data and the applications, but I'm still using them. Like I used to use, build them and use them in, in Alberta. And here I'm not building them anymore. We have a GIS person who takes care of that for us. So I'm, I'm more just building or using the applications now. Um, what else is, I don't, I do way more field work here. There it was more of kind of a treat to get out and do field work, like go out and do aerial surveys out there or go out and do mountain, look at mountain pine beetles data or look at, at, at trees and things like that. See the operations. The, the the ground surveying and the control and things like that. Yeah, the mountain pine beetle was in the news almost every day, just like everything in this world with news. It seemed to be a t popular topic, but I don't hear much anymore about it. What did they did they freeze off and die, or are our forests still 
in in uh, danger with with the mountain pine beetle. I believe they've become more of like an endemic population, so they're just there. Um, they're still. I, I'm pretty sure they're still doing a fall and burn program where they they try to control the clumps of trees where they. But I mean, they've been uh, occurring naturally in BC for like thousands of years. So I mean, it was just the fact that the one day the, a windstorm came along and picked them up and dropped them all on Grand Prairie. And I mean, they were, and then they were, so it was a population explosion in, in, um, in BC that basically caused it to come into Alberta. I want to talk to you a little bit about your forest fire experience. Can you talk about some of the experiences you've had doing that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I started off, I think in 1991 as a crew member in Ontario and I fought forest fires for six summers, uh, moved up to crew boss partway along the way and Ontario tends to be um, all initial attack. So you're you're flying in a helicopter. It's all very, very remote in Northwestern Ontario, not a lot of roads. So you're basically flying in a helicopter with a crew of, there's four of you total usually. Um, you come, come across the fire you've been sent to and you uh, basically hover exit a chainsaw person and another person and they go out and they cut a helipad so that the helicopter can come in. You can offload all your gear and then you basically set up a pump and you lay hose up to the fire. Um, if it's a bad enough fire, you're you're never going to be set into, into the head of a fire. You're going to be usually set under the, the, the rear or the flanks. Um, if it's severe enough, um, water bombers might come or the helicopter might bucket on it, that kind of thing. Um, so I did that for six years. And then um, once I started in GIS, I kind of got away from fire. I kind of always, it was one of my favorite jobs because there's just so much teamwork in it. Um, like you're working as a four person unit, you're trained, you're with them the whole summer. Um, and yeah, once I got into GIS, I kind of missed it. And then when I moved to Alberta, served the government there, um, the opportunity was there to help out on fires. So it still gave you the, the, uh, adrenaline rush of being around the fire. And, and it's kind of a, you run a lot of adrenaline on fire because, you know, I remember one time on a fire. Um, my partner and I were so exhausted that we couldn't open up. We had a, a piece, each had a piece of beef jerky and we were so exhausted we couldn't tear it open. So, so we drank, we shared a pot and then we ripped open the beef jerky to eat it. So, I mean, it's just, you just exhaust yourself. I mean, it's a great job for young people. I mean, I couldn't do it now. I'd, I wouldn't be that effective. Um, so yeah, moving to Alberta, we had, um, uh, I had the opportunity to sort of get involved with fire again. I went up to the Richardson wildfire as a GIS specialist. So you're providing mapping, you're GPS in the flight fire line. Um, so, cause they, they constantly, I mean, information's key in fire, right? You have to be able to, to get the boundaries, uh, assign crews, all that kind of stuff. So we were constantly updating fire boundaries, constantly updating, uh, helipads, um, dozer lines, things like that. If you're getting all these compiling information and getting it back out as fast as you can. So I was able to stay involved in fire in Alberta. Um, that was, I think the first, that was 2011. And then the same year I went to uh, Slave Lake. I think that, I think that was the same year. Um, the day after it burned, I was there and I was kind of providing GIS support outside of the fire, but I was kind of like the go between, between the emergency operations center and the wildfire crew. So I was making sure that they both had the same data and they were talking back and forth. Um, in 2015, I went to high level, uh, as a GIS 
person as well. Um, I went to Wabasca, there was a fire north of Slave Lake um, as a helibase manager. And then in 2016, I went to Fort Mac. Actually, to start off with, when the Fort Mac fire happened, I was in the head office in Edmonton doing um, resource projections, like what we're going to need in, uh, how, how many crews are we going to need in five days? How many crews are we going to need in 10 days? Because they need to order them from, you know, around the world. We brought in crews from Mexico and South Africa and all across Canada. Um, so I was doing resource projections saying we're going to need this many people. And we've never seen a fire like this before. It's so big and so um, intense. So trying to figure out what we needed was, it was a real challenge. And then I basically had four days off and then I was gone again to Fort Mac for another three weeks living in a, living yeah. on site. So you, you were literally, um, you've, you've been on the crew on the ground, um, cutting wood, fighting the fire. And then you've also been kind of in a supervisory role, like managing it as well. Yeah. I would say I was more of a, a support staff rather than managing the fire myself. Um, there's usually an incident commander and then there's like a, an ops, an ops chief and a, and a plans chief and like sort of the, and then I would work for one of those guys. Can you talk us through kind of a typical day for you for when you get up in the morning and end of day? I usually have about a 35 minute drive to work. Um, that's where I was listening to your podcast (laughs) and, um, then, I mean, it could be, it could be random one day. Like typically in July, I'll be flying aerial surveys. So we fly grid lines across the province. Um, I usually only take pictures on the turnarounds, which are on either coast, because Nova Scotia is pretty well surrounded by water. So when you're turning around, you fly, say, to the north, 10 kilometers along the shore, which is an opportunity for great pictures, which go on Facebook, and then all the way to the south side, and then across and and back up again. So, I mean, you're flying for about two weeks of of the... of the summer, you're flying grid lines across the province. Um, or I, like tomorrow I'm heading down to, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kejimikujik National Park. I think I have, but. It's down, it's probably about a two and a half hour drive from, two hour drive from Halifax. Um, so we're going to go down there and hang about 40 uh, jack pine budworm traps on Thursday, Friday. And then next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm in Cape Breton hanging black-headed budworm traps. And uh, yesterday, one of my coworkers was up in all the aerial survey data. Sometimes you can't tell what it is. Like uh, you'll be up in this up in the air, and beech leaf mining weevil looks a lot like ash rust. They're both green deciduous trees, and the leaves are curling brown. So we have to go on the ground afterwards and ground truth that or check out and try to confirm what what it is or isn't. So a couple of my coworkers for the last couple of days have been out there doing that. So are you, so, I mean, every sorry day, to interrupt you, Aaron, sorry. are you in an airplane or, or a helicopter every time you go up? Helicopter. You're in a helicopter yeah. and you guys are taking photography. What, what kind of data are you taking in? Um, well, I use a, it's a arc pad. It's on my computer and I have actually, let's pull it off here. I have this pen here. Oops. And basically, I'm drawing on the screen while I'm flying, and I'm drawing polygons of the image that I see. And so then, that's the only time we fly, though. So the rest of it is all driving. So we're driving around now, trying to ground truth um, what the what the issues are that we saw. Okay, so you're collecting this data, and you're looking at the damage in the force. What? Where does that data go? Compile it all, and then we do annual reports on it, and eventually it gets rolled up into like a natu- a federal 
Um, we do a, we do a Nova Scotia annual report. Every province does, and then uh, there's also a national one that's uh, Canadian and uh, our can. Uh, Canadian Forest Service and Natural Resources Canada puts okay. together. What, what do you love about your job? Mostly, I would say it's the variety. Like, like I said, like one day you can be doing, uh, you know, one day I'm in the office for uh, catching up on stuff, and the next day I'm off looking at trees in someone's yard. You know, people also call in and complain. So about you know what's wrong with my tree? So we'll go and we'll check it out. And oh, you know, you shouldn't have pushed all those rocks up beside it. You've killed the roots yeah. or whatever. Um, or we're hanging traps or we're flying the province or I don't know. It's just a, it's a variety of, of work every day and it's not monotonous ever. Yeah. So it changes from um, day to day, right? You're not doing the same thing every day. Pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or three days in a row, we'll be hanging traps, but then I won't hang traps again until sometime in August. So in between I'll do, be doing okay. other things. Yeah. And what, what are some of the obvious challenges in, in your work? Probably I would say the biggest would be mother nature. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, in Alberta, it was mother nature that basically picked up all the mountain pine beetle and dropped them into Alberta. Um, here we're constantly monitoring for inflights of spruce budworm from Quebec because they have a, a massive, or even Newfoundland now too, because they have a pretty good healthy yeah. outbreak there. But, um, the wind can just pick those up on a, on the right conditions and basically drop them in Nova Scotia. And then we have our own instant yeah. outbreak. Um, I don't know. I would say maybe trying to do every, get everything done. There's always more, there's more insects to be monitoring for. There's more of everything to do. And we have only have four people to do it basically yeah. all summer. So, I mean, staffing, I guess would be, it could be a little bit of a, of a challenge, yeah, I guess. For sure. So maybe there's a lot of job opportunities coming up with people with a forestry background. Uh, well, there's, I, if you go on the websites, there's always lots of, I mean, and I'm only in like this much of the forest industry, like there's harvesting, there's silviculture. So like you could go work for a forestry consult or a forestry, well, you could work for a forestry consulting company doing block layout, or you could go, um, work for like a big company like Camfor or something. And then you're doing harvesting. And then once they've harvested, like you have to build roads to get into the stands, they have to then lay out the blocks, which they usually put, give that to a consulting company to do. Then they have to go in and a, a contractor will harvest it all. Then you have to haul it all to the mill. Um, then once it's harvested, then they have to go in and like treat it, I guess. So they have to like, um, scarify or like almost like dig planting spots yeah. and things like that. Sometimes, sometimes they burn this, burn the stand. They'll do prescribed burns just to burn it off. Um, or they just pile up all the brush that's left and burn it to, so that it goes back into the, into the earth naturally. Um, and then, uh, the tree planters come along and they plant the stands. Um, then once they're, before they're declared free to grow, which is a few years, like 10 years later, um, often you'll get people going and they'll do thinning. So there's natural regrowth as well as what was planted. And basically you have to go in there and thin out, you know, the, the less desirable, uh, species so that your, your trees will come back. Yeah. Has anything surprised you over your career? I guess the resilience of, of some of these pests and how, how they can just, you know, a, the wind can come along and pick up a billion mountain pine beetles little tiny size of a grain of rice, 
throw them over the mountains and truck them into Alberta. Like that's to me is uh, kind of amazing. Or the fact that they can pick up um, uh, spruce budworm moths in Quebec, fly them all the way. The wind can just carry them all the way over the ocean and drop them in Nova Scotia. I mean, that has, that happened back in the seventies, I think, but here, but I mean, it could just as easily happen this year. It, some days, one other surprise I guess I have is that I, I get paid to do what I do. <laughs> like, I mean, some days it's just a great day and it's like, oh, like today, if I was out flying today, this would just be a fabulous day. And I mean, sometimes you're taking a, like you're, you need to take a lunch break, right? So sometimes you'll land on like a, an inaccessible beach or you know, somewhere where nobody's, I mean, obviously somebody's been there, but it feels like nobody's ever been there. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible when you get to do that day like that. Yeah. And so you've seen all different parts of Canada. I think it's, it's a really fascinating career that you're in. If you were speaking to somebody that was interested in forestry and there's, there's so many different careers um, based around forestry, what kind of advice could you give that person? find the part of forestry that you really love. Like I didn't even know forest health existed until, uh, I guess once I started work with Canfor and they were doing, uh, beetle block harvesting. And so that was probably the first time I'd sort of was exposed to forest health. I'd heard of spruce butter before I've heard, I'd heard of some of these things. And then when I moved into Edmonton, I basically jumped right into forest health and was like, wow, this is really cool. It's more, science and research side, which I really enjoyed and not so operational hands-on working in the bush. Like I think doing block layout day after day, I see all the young guys when I work for a consulting company come in and they're all gung ho. They love it. They love being outside. And after about two years with it, I need a new job because it's, it, it's a great experience, but it's not something you want to do for life, I guess. Try to touch all aspects of it and figure out what you really like to do. When you look over your career, what do you think you're most proud of? One that came to mind, I actually sent you a picture, was uh, me in front of a, a plane crash. Um, back in around 1994, we got a call that it was a plane crash. And myself and three other guys, no, four other guys, we went out with the pilot, the helicopter pilot. and. All we were given was a rough coordinate and we were trying to find where the, uh, the plane crash was. And, uh, it had, it had rained the day before and it was kind of wispy coming off the, coming off the, the uh, forest and the crew, boss, crew leader in the front actually saw the, the, uh, the smoke from the plane crash. And we basically flew over, hovered, we lowered a person in, they cut a pad big enough to fit the helicopter in and there was no water nearby. And everyone survived and we were able to load them all in and get them to the hospitals. And then, uh, basically the helicopter just came back and picked us up, but it was, it kind of made the, the, the local newspaper because not off, like, you know, when you go into a plane yeah. crash, you don't expect to find anybody. And we were fortunate that every, I mean, there was, there was one broken arm and a few other minor injuries. So that was pretty fortunate. Um, and probably being able to help out in, in Slave Lake and Fort McMurray, that was kind of, I don't know if it was a like, I mean, it was obviously a, a horrible thing, but just to be able to help out and try to, I guess, get people back in their homes as soon as possible was kind of, uh, rewarding, I guess. Yeah. After, after the forest fires that took place there. Yeah. Or yeah. 
we were trying to get them back in as soon as we could. Well, Aaron, congratulations on a successful career. It's fascinating to hear some of the things that you've done. And I just want to thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your stories. Well, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Job Talk podcast. For more information, please visit us at thejobtalk.com. Our podcast music was created by our friend Mike Malone in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.